Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Before I jump into the message, I want to put uh, in uh, uh, an unshameless plug for uh, small groups. If you're not part of one of our uh, uh, small groups, we're calling them Life Groups and Instead of Home Teams, I want to encourage you uh, still to try and get involved. You can see myself or Daryl uh, about how to do that. The sign-up sheets are not outside uh, today. They've been out there for several weeks. Uh, and also, we still have some books available. Uh, our small groups are studying a book. Uh, this semester entitled, I am a church member, and that's kind of prompted us doing this series that we're calling uh, Membership ID. Uh, so if you've not joined a small group, you still can. If you don't have a book, uh, you can still get one out in the lobby uh, also. Uh, if you've not joined a small group yet, some of you might not have even missed your first session yet because of the weather. Uh, our group on Thursday night uh, that uh, I helped lead over at Bill and Krista Compton's, uh, we didn't meet because of the weather. Uh, this week. So you can come join our week on our small group on Thursdays. We meet at 630 every Thursday evening. You've not missed anything yet. And uh, I think that's true maybe of uh, uh, John's group this past week and maybe some others. Uh, but you can get going fairly quick uh, because what you're studying, the book has really small chapters in it to uh, to read through. The topics that we're dealing with in this sermon series, I'm not going to uh, cover all of them. You can see them there on the screen. We've had them up for a couple of weeks now. Uh, but today we're talking about being a unifying church member. Uh, hopefully all of these topics will go together to help us understand a little bit more about church membership, especially about having a local church body. Uh, there seems to be a tendency over the last few years for people to only focus on the church universal. And while there is a universal body of Christ, as I mention each and every week, the things that we're told to do in the New Testament as a body of Christ can't really be fully carried out by just thinking about a universal church. You have to think about a local church in order for those various tasks uh, to be carried out. Uh, so today, like I said, we're going to talk about a unifying church or being a unifying church uh, member. Uh, Paul writes in the New Testament to local churches, and one of the things that he used for an illustration was the body, the human body, as being a picture of the body of Christ. Uh, we talked about that kind of extensively last week. In order for the church to function as it ought to, that requires all of us functioning as we should. Uh, understanding that we've got tasks and gifts and abilities that God's brought to bear. And just like my body's made up of all kinds of members that have different purposes, that's true of the church too. So to me, the next logical step would be to talk about unity uh, because in order for the church to do everything it needs to be, we, we have to have a degree of unity to accomplish that. Uh, go back to the human body illustration for just a moment. If my brain uh, tells my body to run, uh, to begin with at my age, I'll argue with it a little bit about whether to run or not. But when my brain tells my body to run, and my body actually runs, it incorporates all the parts of my body kind of to pull that off for me to run. Uh, same way if my body uh, is told by my brain, uh, you need to sit down and rest, which would not be very long for me uh, if I were running, uh, my body has to respond to that command from my brain, from my head, that I need to sit down uh, in rest. So, so my body works in, in unison or in unity. And in a similar way, the church needs to function with that degree of unity in order for us to really be all that we need to be as a church. Now, last week as we talked about a functioning church, we talked about connectivity, how we're connected together. We talked about ministry because we're supposed to minister together. That will not happen as it ought to unless the church is unified. Uh, and unless we are unifying church members. So I want to talk to you about four main steps today uh, that can help us 
step toward uh, being unifying church members. The first step is this, steps of love. We need to take steps of love. Now, you see in the parentheses there, I've got the word caring and the word convincing. Uh, you'll understand why as we look at the text here in a moment. But in order for us to be unified, uh, we have to love each other. Uh, Jesus said this. Um, next slide. Uh, in John chapter 13, uh, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So the caring part that I talked about a moment ago, we're to care for each other within the body. That's one aspect of the love that we ought to practice so we can have the unity that we should within the body of Christ. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Notice it's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a thing Jesus said, well, if you want to, it might be cool to do. Jesus is commanding us that we would love one another, that God type of love even, that agape type of love. But as he goes on, he gives us the model that we're to follow as we love each other. He says, just as I have loved you. So that kind of narrows it down to the kind of love that he wants us to have for each other. Jesus said, I want you to love each other. He commands us to do so. And he says, by the way, here's the model. You need to consider the way that I have loved you. As he's talking to his disciples, and it's still applicable to us today. You need to consider how I have loved you, and you're to love each other in the same way. So think about the love of Christ for a minute. He loved us enough to begin with to do something about it. He left heaven and came into this earth. That's how much he loved us, to take action to prove and show us his love. He loved those original disciples enough to call them to himself. Him knowing up front they weren't perfect. They had issues. They had problems. One would even betray him later. But he called them to himself. He loved those disciples enough to lead them, to teach them, to provide for them. But he ultimately loved them enough to do what? To die on a cross. Not just for those disciples, but also for us. He, he calls us to love each other the way he loves us. And he sacrificially died in our place, putting us first instead of himself in order to prove to us how much he, he loves us. And I think the Bible tells us that we're to love each other in that sacrificial way. In Philippians, Paul wrote these, uh, wrote these words. He said, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Let me stop there just for a minute. Think about our world. Think about the culture we live in. How much is done because of rivalry and conceit? Bunch, huh? Regrettably. Sometimes we even let that creep into the church. But he says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Say, let each one of you not look just to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Now to paraphrase that in a little bit different way, more or less, even though Jesus is God, Jesus did not try to hold on to that pridefully when he was in this world and exercise his right Instead, he was willing to pour himself out, to empty himself out of who he was in this world in order to put us first, go to the cross, and die for our sins. He sacrificially poured himself out to the point of shedding his own blood that through him we might have everlasting life. We're to sacrificially love each other. We're to have that same mindset that, that Jesus had. Paul told this to the church in Ephesus also. He said, for this reason, because I heard of your faith. Paul's getting ready to give some thanksgiving. He's saying, this is why I'm thankful. He's like giving some praise to God for two things. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. So notice two things that Paul's thankful for there. He's thankful for their faith, but he's also thankful for the love that they had for other believers. 
And he said, because of that, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. We, we ought to be thankful for that. We ought to practice that in our own lives. He writes this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. And above all these, put on love. It's as though Paul's telling us to dress ourselves up with love, put on a garment of love, put on the attitude of love. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and, and be thankful. He, he's stressing the importance of love, how, how strategic love is. He, he tells us to put it on, and, and, and he said that it binds everything together. Now, in our mind, we might think of a rope kind of binding everything together in the church, but that's not really what Paul was saying. Uh, a, a rope illustration is fine, I guess. But the word for binds here means a joint tied or ligament. So go back to the illustration Paul uses about the church being a body. Our body is held together by ligaments. Different joints and things are held together by ligaments. So use that illustration instead of a rope. Love in the church ought to be like a ligament that holds us together that provides unity to the church body, just as our ligaments provides unity to different parts of our, of our human bodies. This step of love that we're talking about helps promote and protect unity in the church and the body of Christ, and we need to love and, and care for each other if we want to have unity. But Jesus goes on in that same verse, and he tells us we're loving each other, and part of the reason why we, it would bring about unity, we're to love each other as he loved us, but we're also to love each other because it would be convincing to those outside the body. We're to love each other to care for those of us within the body, but the love that we have for each other will be convincing or prove to a lost world around us there's, there's an authenticity to the faith that we say that we have in Jesus. Jesus went on and he said, by this... By what? By the love that we have for each other that he just talked about. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if. That's conditional. Don't read past that little word if too quickly. The condition of us really proving to a lost world that we are authentically his disciples is if we have love for each other. I've always thought it was interesting that Jesus did not say to his disciples, it will be by the size Bible that you carry that people will know you belong to me. Or it will be based upon the translation or the version of the Bible that you carry that people will know that you are my disciples. He didn't tell them based upon the way you dress or based upon the way you cut your hair that people will know that you're my disciples. He didn't even say, and while I'm all about correct doctrine, Jesus didn't even say it will be by the doctrine that you believe that people will know that you're my disciples. What Jesus said was this, it will be by the love that you have for each other that you will prove to a lost world that you really belong to me. That, that you are really my disciples. And it will be convincing to that lost world around us because that type of love portrays unity to a lost world. Just maybe. That's why we have difficulty in this day and time evangelizing and reaching people for the kingdom of God and for Christ and getting people to come to church. Just maybe it's because they've not seen model for them the love that Jesus has for us. Just maybe they've not seen us love each other as we should love each other. And instead, regrettably, what happens, they'll see split and splinters and fusses and arguments. You know, I, I almost got to the point I was gun-shy when the Southern Baptist Convention uh, would take place, uh, especially back when there was a lot of arguing going between the conservatives and the liberals. I view myself as a conservative. At the same time, people need to learn how to act civilly toward each other. Because they would go off to some of the denominational meetings, uh, not just Southern Baptists, but others. And I guarantee you, if there's some kind of splinter, fight, controversy going on, that will be what the news media grabs and puts out for the world to see. 
They won't put out for the world to see the other good things that's happening behind the scenes. That's why we need to be very guarded of unity. That's why we need to love each other the way we ought to love each other. Because if we fail to do that, all we do is give ammunition to a lost world. Whether they'll say, see there, no need for me to go to church. They act like everybody else. So the first step of us being unifying church members is to recognize we need to take steps of love. It's vitally important to unity that we take steps of love. Second thing today, steps of responsibility. Steps of responsibility. And in that little parenthetical statement, I put walking worthy because here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul is telling us there that we need to consider whether or not we're walking worthy of the manner we've been called to walk as Christians. To give you a visual image of that, maybe it's like you take a, a, a set of scales or balances. And on one side of the balances, on the scales, you put the way you are currently walking, the way you are walking in your Christian life. On the other side of the scales, you put maybe the life of Jesus. (laughs) Or you put the calling that you know he's called you to, the way you know he wants you to live your life. I'll say that sometimes, and people will say, well, I just wish I knew what Jesus wanted me to do and how he wanted me to live my life. Hey, here is a pretty good place to start. Because he wrote this to you and to me for a reason. But if we'll put it in the balances and consider, does my walk balance out with a call in that he's called me to? You know, most of us are probably going to think, no, it doesn't balance like it needs to. And that just means we've got stuff we need to work on. Like loving each other better, like trying to be the best example of the body of Christ we can be. Like trying to walk like Jesus wants us to walk. What does that walk look like? Well, he, he tells us in the rest of those verses there in Ephesians. He told us to walk with, with humility, with all humility. That's kind of the opposite of pride. What we tend to do in the flesh a lot of times, we get tied up in our pride and we want to walk and relate to other people based upon pride when instead we're called to having this humiliation of, of our mind. We're, we're called to humble ourselves toward others instead of be prideful toward others. He, he tells us we need to walk with gentleness and that word for gentleness means, means mildness and, instead of us being harsh with someone. We, we need to learn how to relate to other believers, especially with, with gentleness or with, with mildness. He tells us that we need to do this. We need to be walking with patience. The word that he used for patience talks about forbearance. And it talks about long-suffering. You might put it like this. We're to have a long fuse instead of a short fuse. Does that bother anybody? Am I the only one that has that problem? I, I mean, regrettably, I find myself with a short fuse a lot of times. I mean, one, you don't need to get any sparks near. <laughs> you know, because it won't take very long for it to burn and blow up. But that's not what he calls us to. He calls us to have a long fuse, to be long-suffering, to, to be patient with people, to, to have a long or enduring temper toward others. He tells us to walk in enduring love, bearing with one another in in love. Bearing one another means to literally hold yourself up against. That's difficult sometimes. If someone's hurt us or upset us or disappointed us, a lot of times we act like we don't even want to be around that person. But that's the opposite of what the Holy Spirit tells us. That's the opposite of what the Bible tells us. We, because we're part of the same body, we're to be able to hold ourselves up against that person in love. And the word means in a fixed position of agape love. Our attitude ought to be, I'm going to love no matter what. I'm going to be in a fixed position of love toward that other person, no matter what it might be that that they've done. He tells us we're to walk eagerly to maintain the unity of, of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
Eager simply means, hey, we're to be fast in doing this. We're, we're to be earnest. We're to be prompt in maintaining unity. The word for maintain means to guard like a watchman on the wall. In cities in the, in the Middle East, uh, in biblical times especially, uh, they would have walled in cities and they would post a watchman on the wall to be alert at all hours. And that watchman on the wall, his task was to be upon the top of the wall, looking out over the horizon. And if he sees an approaching army or some type of danger coming, he would sound an alarm or alert to the rest of the people in the city so they would understand that there's a danger there. So bear that in mind in what Paul's telling us to do here. We're to be maintaining or guarding or watching like a watchman on the wall, anything, looking for anything that can disrupt the unity that we ought to have with each other. The unity that we ought to have as the body of Christ. That word for unity of the Spirit could even be translated oneness of breath. That's kind of a, a really intimate type of uh, illustration, the oneness of Christ's Spirit. We're to maintain it and do so in the bond of peace. In is the fixed position word that we saw a moment ago. Bond is the exact same word that we saw earlier talking about ligaments. And peace means to join together what was separate. So you look at that ligament word study that we've already referred to a moment ago. It was talking about love being a ligament that holds unity together. And that's true. But we also need the, the ligament of peace within the body. If we're going to have unity with each other, we need to put a a prime on peace and understand how much we need to practice love and how much we need to, to practice peace within the body with speed, as earnest as we can. We need to be maintaining, watching, and guarding the unity of peace within the body of Christ. Third step is this. Steps of protection. Steps of protection. Avoiding gossip and strife. It ought to be a very logical thing if we're talking about having unity, maintaining unity, guarding unity. It ought to be really logical for us that if we're going to have the unity in a church that God desires for us to have, that we need to avoid things like gossip and strife. Because if we're all the time talking about people behind their backs all the time being negative and critical. That doesn't lay the groundwork for the kind of unity that God desires in the body of Christ, that God desires within the church. We need to be on guard against those types of things because those things will absolutely destroy unity. That's why I called it steps of protection. I tried to find it this week in the Bible. And I could not find any place in the Bible to where gossip and slander is presented in a positive light. Can you? I couldn't think of any. I tried using a computer, concordance, and everything else. Couldn't ever find anything that showed gossip and slander being in a positive light. I can find it in a really, really, really negative light. Look what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1. By the way, in Romans chapter 1, just to remind you, Paul's kind of summing up the reason the human race is in the mess we're in. Though the reason why, that even though we knew God, we wanted to reject the knowledge of God, and it led to all these other negative things taking place in the world and the human race. He says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. To do what ought not to be done. Now, you can park a whole lot of stuff underneath there, but that's not what we're talking about today. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, deceit, maliciousness. That doesn't sound like a very good list so far, does it? Look what he said in with that list. They are gossips, slanderers, Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, 
faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice those things. And that's a pretty bad list. And in the middle of it, I want you really to pay attention that in the middle of it, there are a couple of things parked that we might not think are that bad. We might tend to turn gossip into a little bit of a white sin or not too serious sin or slander. We don't think of it in terms of things like, like murder and haters of God and all the other things that he said in that list. Maybe think about a spiritual parking lot for a moment and in that bad, terrible spiritual parking lot with all those negative things parked there, right in the middle of it, the Holy Spirit of God told Paul to write gossips and slanderers. Right in the middle of that parking lot with all those other things. Parked right beside all those other very, very negative actions. They're parked right there. The Old Testament also has a lot to say about, about gossip. Leviticus, it says, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Proverbs says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. That's pretty logical, isn't it? <laughs> you quit throwing fuel on the fire. You quit throwing wood there on the fire. Eventually, it's going to go out. If we, by our words, will quit throwing fuel on the fire, it says that where there's no whisper, quarreling ceases. Proverbs, it says, the words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down to the innermost parts of the belly. Now, that's in the King James, and that word talebearer in the Hebrew literally means to roll to pieces by a whisper. See, that's why we need to understand it is more negative than we allow it to be. Because when we think it's just a, a simple thing, not that bad of a sin, for us to gossip about someone, yet when we're doing so, what we're really doing is this. We are rolling to pieces the life of that person by the words that we say. We're rolling to pieces their reputation. We're rolling to pieces their testimony. We're harming them emotionally, maybe even physically, simply by the words that we say. We're, we're wounding them. You see, we don't just wound that person. When we fall prey to the trap of gossip that Satan would love for us to fall prey to, we might wound somebody else, but we're also wounding our own testimony. We're also wounding our own character. And ultimately, we're not just affecting that person that we've talked about, and we're not just affecting ourselves. We're also affecting maybe even a whole church body by what we say, by the words that we allow to come out of, of our lives. And when that happens, the problem is you have unity taking a back door. James put it like this. James said, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staying the whole body, set in on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Now, several months back, I did a series going verse by verse through James. And a lot of times the primary application we'll make from that verse is that our individual tongue uh, affects our individual bodies. And while that is true, if we will remember the church is the body of Christ, that means an individual tongue cannot disdain the person that's being talked about. It cannot disdain the person that's doing the talking. It can also stain the whole body of Christ. And that's why we have to be very guarded about what we say. From day one, we've had that written in our church covenant. And maybe we've not been as guarded or protective of it as we need to be sometimes because we're all human. But we write that into our church covenant for a very important reason. It affects the unity of the body and the effectiveness of the body if people can, can just start talking about other people. Jesus said, go talk to the person. I, I encourage you, if you ever hear someone running somebody else down and talking about somebody else behind their back. If they're part of this body and you're part of this body, you've got the authority and the right and the expectation to go to that person and say, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And I'd even encourage you to do this. Say, hey, have you talked to that person that you're talking about? And if you haven't, I'll be glad to talk to them with you. Why don't you give them a call? You know what will happen? You will scare that person to death. 
Because most of the time they don't want a solution, they just want to talk. But see, Jesus said to keep it in the smallest confines possible. Go to the individual. If that doesn't work, take somebody with you. If that doesn't work, you might have to take it out before the church. But the idea is to keep it as small as possible. And if we fail to do that, it can affect the whole unity of a body. <clears throat> Several years ago, we had a, a group, not in this church, but a different church. I passed it. We have a group of about, it's probably about 50 children that day, uh, doing a chapel service with them. And we, we gave the first person at the front end of the row, the first child, a message to whisper to the next one, to whisper to the next one, to whisper to the next one, all the way through all the 50 kids. And then at the end of it, we're going to find out what the last person was told. We told the first child this, Jesus loves sinners but hates sin. So they took time and they shared it and they shared it and they shared it and they shared it and they shared it. Got around to the last person and we asked the last person what they heard. And the last person said, this is what they told me. Jesus loves sin, but hates sinners. You see how much that changed? How much that morphed? And regrettably, that's what happens when one story goes from one person to the next person to the next person to the next person. It can change in what the truth really is all about. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. God through Peter is telling us that we're to have unity. When you look at that in the regional Greek, you see, you may read that and he say, oh, he just said have unity of mind. Well, now all that's connected together when you look at it in the Greek language. He did say have unity of mind, but he also says have unity of sympathy, have unity of brotherly love, have unity of a tender heart, have unity of an humble mind. Don't be paying evil for evil. We need to have unity in refusing to do that. Instead, we ought to have unity as in blessing someone because we were called to do that. In unity, we should keep our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. What was the first step of unity I talked about today? What was it? Love. Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love, what's the word there? Covers a multitude of sins. Conceals or covers. See, when we gossip, we're doing the opposite. Instead of us trying to protect that person and keep it in the smallest confines possible that I mentioned a moment ago that Jesus encouraged us to do by going to the individual, instead we just pull the cover off and we've exposed it for everybody to see. And by doing so, we damage that person's character, our own character, and maybe even the character of a whole church. Because regrettably, I have seen it, and you have too, probably, to where gossip was taking place in a church body, and all of a sudden, unity took a back seat or walked out the door. And it took years and years and years, and sometimes congregations never get over it. And it ruins the testimony of that congregation. Step number four <clears throat> toward being a unified church and us being unifying church members step number four is forgiveness or healing wounds just like if my physical body is wounded it needs to heal whether it's my emotions or a physical healing i, I need to heal and the same thing is true of the church there will be wounds sometimes the best we can do Sometimes we'll wound someone or disappoint someone or discourage someone. I want to remind you of something. The church is made up of imperfect people. Amen? None of us are perfect. 
I've honestly had pastors contact me in the past and say, do you know of a really, really good church, like a perfect church, and that's looking for a pastor? And, and, and if you do, would you mind recommending me there? And I've actually told some before, no. And it kind of sets them back a little bit. And they'll say, well, why not? And I'll say, if it's a perfect church, if you go there, it won't be perfect anymore. The truth of the matter is, there's no such thing as a perfect church. Or perfect pastor or anything else like that. We're human beings. We will mess up loving each other like we all do sometimes. We'll mess up walking worthy of the calling that Christ has given us sometimes. We'll mess up in the area of gossip sometimes. And because the church body is made up of imperfect people, we must have steps of forgiveness in a church body. Because if we do not have forgiveness, it will be impossible to have unity. Unless people are willing to forgive each other. Paul writes these words in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Put on then. Once again, he's like telling us how we ought to dress up spiritually. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. All this sounds similar to what he said somewhere else. Sounds like he had to remind the church of that often, didn't it? Bearing with one another. And here he says, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, Paul tells us to put on, once again, several needful things. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And then he has the audacity to tell us to forgive each other. The word for forgiving or forgiven that's found in, in that verse means to grant as a favor. Gratuitously, in kindness, to pardon, to rescue, to deliver. The, the root word is built on means graciousness and cheerfulness. In, in other words, I, I think we get the idea of forgiveness wrong. You need to focus upon what this word really means. A lot of people refuse to forgive and they hold on to hurt in their life and bitterness in their life over what someone else has done. Because they think if they forgive that person, it's as though the person didn't do anything wrong. Well, no, that's not the case at all. What you are doing when you extend forgiveness to someone, you're doing the same thing that God did for you because of Christ. God extends grace to you. God grants favor to you. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. All we are doing when we offer forgiveness to somebody is to offer grace to them, favor to them, kindness to them that God did for us because of Jesus. Just like God pardoned us. God rescued us. We're trying to pardon someone else. We're wanting to restore the rift. We're wanting to get ourselves and the other person beyond whatever it was that happened. Not let it seed in your life like a seed of bitterness. We're trying to deliver that person. We're trying to extend graciousness to them so there can be cheerfulness in the relationship or in that situation instead of bitterness. Forgiveness is not you acting like the person did not do anything wrong. Forgiveness for us as Christians, I think, maybe is more about us setting ourselves free than it is setting the other person free. But where we turn loose of whatever's happened so we can maintain a relationship with that person so we can move forward in our lives. Last year, I was attending a funeral at a church that I used to pastor. Now, 
no be guessing, trying to figure out which one. I pastored several churches, okay? But that church, it had a reputation of being difficult as the one before it and the one before that and the one before that. Seemed like that's the path God had me on. I don't know. And I had some feelings. To be honest with you, God confronted me with some of them in the very first series that we did when we started Day 3 Church. Because I felt led to do a series about dreams, talking about Joseph's life, and hopefully us dreaming a little bit as a new church. But in the midst of me doing that series about dreams, I'm confronted with Joseph telling his brothers who wanted him dead and sold him into slavery. I'm confronted with Joseph looking at his brothers and saying, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. I even told my wife, maybe I need to go back and thank some people at this other church because I might not have stepped out on faith some. But while I'm at this funeral last year, this church had recently called a new pastor. There's a staff person that was there that he and I didn't always see eye to eye uh, on things that was still there. Deacon was there at that funeral that had been difficult sometimes from my perspective. But the Holy Spirit impressed upon my heart while we're there at that graveside service that I need to go up to them, the new pastor and the staff person and the deacon, and I need to ask them to come inside the church building after we left the graveside so I could pray with them. And they did. They came inside, and I asked all three of them to kneel down, and I prayed blessings over the new pastor. I I prayed blessings over the staff person, blessings over the the deacon, prayed that church would be used to glorify God and in that community. And then after we finished praying over them, I hugged each one of them, and, and especially the two that I had been with before in ministry, I I told, listen, if there's any part of anything in the past that was my fault, I'm sorry. And I left with cheerfulness. So much so I had to call a couple of you and kind of let you know that it happened. Now, the reason I'm telling that story is really two reasons. to let you know, hey, just because I'm a preacher up here, I deal with the same stinking emotions that you deal with. And I can harbor bitterness or something in my heart just like somebody else can. And even though in my mind I think I'd forgiven those people, I still needed to have taken that step to actually let them know. And when I did... I had peace. I had cheerfulness. There may be someone you need to do that with. It could be someone in this church body that you need to do that with. It might be a family member. It might be somebody that you work with. But there may be somebody that you need to go to and say, Hey, I've harbored these feelings against you because you did this. And I needed to let you know and let you know I forgave you. Or you may need to go to someone and ask them to forgive you because you recognize there's some things there that that you have done yourself that you need to ask for forgiveness. Paul wrote something very similar that he wrote to the church at Colossia in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. In other words, don't hold on to those things, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Notice this. Here's the kicker. (laughs) As God in 
Christ forgave you. Now, most of you that have been here a while have heard me use that scripture in the past. And basically that's telling us this. I need to stop and think about everything that God forgave me for, for Jesus' sake, and understand, wow, I've got a lot of forgiving to practice toward other people. Because of all that Christ forgave me, that God forgave me for Christ's sake. Forgiving one another is a necessary step toward being unifying church members and toward a church being a unified church. Unity is essential in the church being all that we should be as the body of Christ. We need to serve together. We need to use our God-given gifts together. And to make that work out in the best way that it can, we need to love each other. We need to walk worthy of Christ. We need to abstain from gossip and strife. And we need to forgive each other. A church. And, and by the way, maybe I should have thrown this out to start with. Just in case you're visiting here today and you're thinking, wow, they must be having a lot of division and strife for him to be preaching that. No, we've had the least of that of any place I've ever been in my life. So that's not why I'm preaching. I'm preaching because it's stuff we need to be reminded of. The church needs to be reminded of. Believers need to be reminded of. But having said that, a church that is filled with hatred and controversy and strife and gossip and division, a church that is not unified is not an attractive church to a lost world. That's why we need to strive for unity. That's why we need to love each other as we should and walk worthy of the steps that Christ has given us and avoid gossip. That's why we need to practice forgiveness with each other. One one day, one day when we see Jesus face to face, This is what I believe. You can be wrong if you want to. That sounds unifying, doesn't it? I think you'll agree with me on this. I think when I see Jesus face to face, I will see the most beautiful body that's ever existed. Because of what he did for me. Do you agree with that? Don't you think Jesus is going to be extremely beautiful when you see him? Listen, I think his body, the church, this church and any church, the church needs to be that beautiful to a lost and dying world. Let's pray. God, forgive us when we don't act like you as we should. Act like Jesus as we should. Forgive us when we focus on minor things and fail to focus on major things. Father, help us to be the body that you want us to be. Help us to love each other the way you desire for us to love. Help us to walk the way you want us to walk as individuals and as a church. Help us to walk worthy of the calling you've given us. Father, help us to be on guard. Help us to be watchmen on the wall and be on guard against things that can destroy unity in the body. Father, help us to practice forgiveness 
with each other as we should. Lord, if there's someone in this place this morning that's never ever trusted Christ as Savior, help them to understand right now that what I said earlier in the message is so true that He loved us enough to leave heaven and come to this world and die on a cross for our sins. Make full payment for our sins. That through faith in Him, we can be forgiven and have everlasting life. Help those of us that already know Christ to make whatever decisions right now we need to make. To be more of the church body you want us to be. If we need to love more, if we need to walk better, if we need to avoid gossip and strife, if we need to practice forgiveness, Father, help us to commit to that so we can be all that you want us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Inside the updates, the bulletin, there's the second pledge. Last week we had the first pledge that dealt with being a functioning church member. If you have the book, the pledge is also at the end of each chapter. So you'll have a copy of it to look at. If you don't have a copy of the book, we still have some available. You can get after the service. But I want you to consider during this invitation if God might not desire for you to sign the pledge about unity. And then sometime before you leave the service today, we have two pedestals on the back wall. And just walk up and drop that in the pedestal. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not believe in Him today? Why not trust in Him, give Him your life today? And for the rest of us that do, maybe you need to come and say, God, help me to love better. God, help me to walk better. Help, help, help me to guard against gossip. God, help me to forgive like I ought to. And I also want to encourage you during this invitation to think about anybody that you need to practice forgiveness toward. They may not even know it. But you know in your own heart that there's somebody that you need to forgive or there's somebody that you need to go and ask forgiveness of. And if they're in this place, try and see them today before they leave. If they're not here, try and see them sometime this week. Let's take those steps of forgiveness. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.